I'm going to be speaking from Luke's Gospel. So if you'd like to be turning to Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, and I'm going to begin in verse 41. So Luke, chapter 2, verse 41. Um, just before I start, if, if anybody doesn't have a Bible, um, I think there are some available, so if you'd like to raise your hand. Okay, Luke, chapter 2, verse 41. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast, after the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they travelled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and man. Now, as I was preparing during the week and I was sort of thinking, how, how, how do I begin this morning? Do I just sort of launch into what I have to say or, or should I sort of ease my way in gently? And I thought, I'd just maybe try to ease in gently and just sort of draw attention to the fact that this head, this paragraph, this passage is headed in the NIV, the boy Jesus in Jerusalem. But then I checked and I realised it's actually the boy Jesus at the temple. So I thought it's a good thing I checked. It wouldn't have been very good to begin with a mistake. <laughs> it's been suggested to me that because sermons are put on the internet now, I should come up with a title for this sermon. And... Um, you might think the boy Jesus at the temple would be a good... Well, it basically sums up the passage. But that's not actually what I'm going to be preaching on. And that, so the title I've come up with this morning is Consider What God Has Done. And the specific verse I'm going to be mainly concentrating on is the end of verse 51 where it says, His mother treasured all these things in her heart. Now this passage does tell us about, about the boy Jesus at the temple. It does give us the only glimpse we have of Jesus as a child. We get a, a little glimpse of what he was like. We see in this passage, for example, that even at the age of 12, he was eager to learn about God. He, would, he was happy to meet with the religious leaders of his day and debate with them, asking them questions and giving answers. 
And I just thought, just, I mean, I'm not going to be preaching on that in particular, but I just thought, to, just to mention that for those of you who are 12 or, or a similar age, you can do the same thing. There's no reason why you can't meet with, with the elders, meet with Arnold and Dan and Mark, and debate with them, discuss with them what, what the Bible says. Jesus did it. There's no reason why anybody else can't have a similar age, whatever your age. Jesus, at the age of 12, was, was happy to discuss the things of God with people older than he was. And we also see in this passage that he was already aware of his unique relationship with God in his response to, to Mary's when Mary says, we have been searching for you, he says, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? He's already aware that God is his father. And we see also his submission and obedience to his parents. That he went down to Nazareth and was obedient to them. And then we see at the end, we see that he grew up just like any other child, physically, mentally, and spiritually. It's a bit difficult to get our heads around the fact that Jesus, the Son of God, who spent eternity with God, who created all things, when he became a human being, it looks like he had to learn, learn about God. And yet when he became human, he took on our human limitations. What we have to learn about, he had to learn about. It's difficult to understand, but, but that looks like what it's saying. So this passage does tell us, it gives us a glimpse into what Jesus was like as a child. But it also gives us a glimpse of his parents as well, and especially his mother Mary. We see in this passage that his parents were devout Jews. They went to the temple, they went to Jerusalem regularly for the feast of the Passover. They were, they, that was a requirement in the Old Testament to celebrate the Passover every year. And we see that Jesus' parents were concerned to do what God said. In fact, in, in Matthew's Gospel, Joseph is described as a righteous man. But we also see in this passage that they didn't always understand Jesus. There seems to be a sort of implied criticism in Mary's question when she says, why have you treated us like this? She seems to be criticizing Jesus for causing them anxiety. She didn't understand, well, she didn't understand his answer didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Verse 50, they did not understand what he was saying to them. But in spite of not understanding, it says that she treasured all these things in her heart. And in fact, it doesn't just say that in this verse. If you look back a few verses to verse 19, it says a very almost identical statement in the passage where, where Jesus is a baby and the shepherds have just visited, it says, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And I was, 
As I was thinking about it, I thought, why does, why does Luke tell us twice this about Mary? And I thought, maybe, possibly, possibly he wants to stress how reliable his gospel is. Because for, this, for these early chapters of the gospel, Luke's source was presumably Mary herself. And maybe he's just drawing attention to the fact that she was somebody who remembered what happened. She thought about what happened. And so maybe he's saying, my source is Mary, and you can rely on her because she remembers things. She doesn't just let things wash over her. But maybe there's another reason we are told it. Maybe he tells us that she treasured things in her heart because he sees it as a good quality, a good thing to do. And maybe he says it to encourage us to treasure things in our heart, to treasure the things of God, the things that God is doing, to take seriously what God has done. To treasure something means that you put a high value on it. Mary clearly put a high value on what God was doing. And maybe it's written down for us in the Gospel to encourage us to do the same where it says that Mary pondered these things in verse 19. Pondering something, it means you think about it. You are eager to understand what it means. Now we can sometimes get a sort of mental picture of Mary as, a, as somebody sitting maybe with a little smile on her face and very reflective and meditative and maybe with a golden halo around her head. And we probably think we aren't like that. We can't sort of emulate Mary because she was a particular type of person and we are different. You might think if you're a woman, you might think if somebody comes and tells me I'm pregnant, I wouldn't sit down and start meditating. I'd rush to tell my friends. But actually, if you read what it says about Mary, that's exactly what she did. As soon as the angel Gabriel left her, she rushed off to Elizabeth to, to see her. So, I think the sort of traditional picture we have of Mary is a bit like the traditional picture we have of, of Jesus in the, in the sort of traditional paintings we have. They're not, they're, not what, what, they're not the real thing. The sort of traditional paintings that we see of, of Mary, I'm not sure that's what she was really like. So, thinking about the things of God, thinking, considering pondering what God is doing, it's not just for a certain type of person. It's for something we should all be doing, whatever type of person we are. So this morning, what I want to do is to get across the importance of treasuring or keeping in mind and thinking about the things that God has done and the things that God is going to do. And in fact, Scripture urges us to remember, to consider, and think about what God has done. If you notice the context of this passage, Joseph and Mary had been to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast of the Passover. And the, the Passover festival was instigated by God specifically for that reason, to help people remember what God had done. We read in Exodus about how God delivered the, the children of Israel, the people of Israel, 
out of captivity in Egypt. We read about how he sent the plagues on on the Egyptians and finally he led Israel out under Moses and Aaron and how he divided the Red Sea so that they could escape from from, from the Egyptians who were pursuing them. And God instituted the Passover celebrations every year as a remembrance for Israel to remember the things that God had done. And so we read in Exodus chapter 13. Exodus 13 verse 8. On that day, tell your son... This is the day when they're celebrating the the Passover. On that day, tell your son, I do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. This observance will be for you like a sign on your hand and a reminder on your forehead that the law of the Lord is to be on your lips, for the Lord brought you out of Egypt with his mighty hand. Then a few verses later, it says, In the days to come, when your son asks you, What does this mean? Say to him, With a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed every firstborn in Egypt, both man and animal. This is why I sacrifice to the Lord the first male offspring of every womb and redeem each of my firstborn sons. And it will be like a sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead that the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. I gather that when the Jews celebrated the Passover, it was a tradition that the youngest son of the family would ask ask his parents, why do you do this? And this would give the father the opportunity to respond, as, as it says here, to tell his son why we are doing this. So, presumably, when Jesus was young, he would have asked that question, why do you do this? And Joseph would have responded, as it says here in Exodus, we do this because God showed his mighty strength and brought us out of Egypt. The Passover was instituted to enable Israel to remember everything God had done in bringing them out of Egypt all the miracles he performed in Egypt and the miracles he performed as he led them out. Because the problem that that we have as human beings is that we forget things very easily. Israel forgot quickly what God had done. We read it as as Moses and Aaron led, led them through the desert. We read about how they how they hankered back to the times in Egypt. They quickly seemed to have forgotten how God had had shown his great power in bringing them out. They forgot what God had done. And then later on, all through the Old Testament, we read in in, in the books, in the Judges and, and the books about the kings, we read how God would come and deliver them God would send somebody to deliver them from their enemies. But as soon as that deliverer had died, they went back to their old ways. You read it all the way through the book of Judges. God would send somebody to deliver them, and when that person died, 
Israel would forget the Lord and go back to their old way of life and so God would punish them again. And they would cry out to the Lord and God would send them a deliverer and the same thing would happen again and again. It's all the way through the book of Judges because we forget things very easily. Now, in, in the book of James, it says that, um, James says in, in chapter 1 and verse 22, um, that, that it's a bit like looking in the mirror and forgetting straight away what you look like. In James chapter 1, verse 22, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away immediately and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Now in this passage in James, James is talking specifically about obedience to God. But the same thing applies when we, think, when we read about the, thing, the mighty acts that God did. We read it, we can read it, and then just go away and forget straight away what we've read. Not consider what God has done. And it's like, James says, it's like looking, in your, looking in, at your face in the mirror and straight away you forget what you look like. It's a bit like looking at the law where it says, thou shalt not kill. And then straight away you just forget about it and go around popping people off left, right and centre. You read what it says and straight away you forget and it doesn't affect you. And James says, talks about looking intently into the perfect law. The interesting thing about James is that it's not, it's not known for, sh- for certain, that, but there are people who think that he was Mary's son, the, James, the brother of Jesus. And he's talking about remembering and, and looking intently into God's word. And Mary, possibly his mother, is pondering the things of God in her heart. And maybe he learned that from Mary. Maybe he learned it from her. So what is your memory like? Well, how good are you at remembering things? Do you remember the things that God has done? Not just the things God has done in Scripture, but the things God has done in your own life. Or do, or do you pray about things, and then when God answers your prayer, you just forget about it, you forgot that you prayed about it. So, so you might pray for, for a job, for example, and you get a job, and you just think, oh, it's good, I've got a job. But you don't think, you prayed, and God gave it to you. God was determined not to let the Israelites forget what he did in bringing them out of Egypt. And that's why he instituted the festival of Passover. Because God is glorified when we remember his works. It brings glory to God when we remember what he's done. For one thing, when when we remember what God has done, we end up praising him. We end up worshipping him. And we see that in many of the Psalms. 
Um, if you just look at Psalm 111, for example. Psalm 111, and, and starting at verse 2, the psalmist says, Great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in them. Glorious and majestic are his deeds, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works, giving them the lands of other nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are steadfast forever and ever, done in faithfulness and uprightness. He provided redemption for his people. He ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. We see that the psalm begins by, by just remembering the works of the Lord and giving thanks to God for what he's done. It's not just people like Mary who ponder the things of God. It says they are pondered by all who delight in them. So do you delight? Do you ponder? Do you consider? Do you meditate? Do you think about the things that God has done? Because if we, if we do, it brings forth praise to God. In, in the first two chapters of Luke's Gospel... There's a lot in there about what God has done. But there's also several songs of praise. Mary herself sang a song of praise, which is in Luke chapter 1. Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, sang a song of praise because of what God had done, what God was doing. Then there's a song sung by, by Simeon as, as Mary and Joseph take Jesus to the temple as a baby. And Simeon takes him in his arms and praises God. When we, when we consider what God is doing, it results in praising God and giving glory to God. But considering what God has done also increases our faith. And again, that was one of the purposes of the Passover. That was one of the purposes in remembering what God had done in bringing his people out of Egypt. So there was a saying, as, as the Lord lives who brought you out of Egypt. It means, just as God has shown his power in bringing, out, in bringing us out of Egypt, so we believe he will act again. Um, just in, in times of distress, people in the Old Testament would remember what God had done, and it would increase their faith for what he was going to do. So in Psalm 77, we read a, we read a psalm where the psalmist is in some distress. He, I don't think he actually says what, but, but he says at the beginning of the psalm that he was in distress. And towards, as he goes on through the psalm, just starting at verse 10, he says, Then I thought, to this I will appeal, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will meditate on all your works and consider your mighty deeds. Your ways, O oh God, are holy. What God is so great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. 
You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. And then he goes on just to talk about what what God did in bringing the Israelites out of Egypt. He remembers in his distress, he remembers how God has come previously to save his people. And it increases his faith. It increases his faith to believe that God will come again and rescue his people. God can be counted on because he's demonstrated his power. In Jeremiah chapter 16, this is a time when, when God is, is punishing Israel and they are, he is punishing them by sending them into captivity, into Babylon. And the prophet Jeremiah just basically tells the people, God has delivered you before and he will again. Even though God is punishing you now, he will deliver you. So in chapter 16 and verse 14, Jeremiah says, However, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when men will no longer say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the Israelites up out of Egypt. But they will say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the Israelites up out of the land of the north and out of all the countries where he had banished them. For I will restore them to the land I gave their forefathers. So we see here an example of where the Israelites, and in this case Jeremiah the prophet, looked back on what God had done in the past. He looked back at the mighty acts God had done before, and he said, basically, just as God is remembered for doing all these things, in the future, he will be remembered for the new things he's going to do. We remember him because he brought you out of Egypt, but in the future, he'll be remembered for bringing you up out of the captivity in Babylon. So remembering what God has done in the past, it encourages us to have faith that God will act again. And then when he does act, this in turn encourages us to believe that he will keep on acting on our behalf, on behalf of his people, his chosen ones. There are some people who, who would call themselves Christians who doubt that the miracles in the Old Testament really happened. So the crossing of the Red Sea, for example, they, they would argue it didn't really happen because it's clearly impossible. And they would say, it's, the story is there to teach us a lesson that God can do everything, that God is all-powerful. But my problem with that is, what's the point of saying this is here to teach us that God can do everything if we don't believe it because clearly God can't do it? It seems to be a sort of contradiction. And how much confidence can we have in a God who is able to do everything but doesn't do it. A God who says, I can do this, but I won't. Well, how, much how much encouragement would it be for, for the people who came forward earlier for prayer if the person praying for you said to you, I've, I've got great faith, God can heal you, but he's not going to. <laughs> it's not very encouraging, is it? 
We can have faith in God. We can have faith that God will act. Not just because God can act, but because he has acted. We can have faith that God will act in the future because he's shown his power. He's demonstrated that he has acted in the past. And so we can have faith that he can do the same. When Mary was told that she was going to become pregnant with Jesus, what caused her to believe the angel? Why did she believe him? It seems to me it's because she knew that God had already worked a miracle, even just previously, just just within the last few months. Because Elizabeth, her relative, had become pregnant with John the Baptist. And Elizabeth was an old woman. She was past childbearing age. There was no way she would have become pregnant naturally, without intervention, without a miracle from God. And so we look at Luke chapter 1 and verse... Luke chapter 1 and in verse 34, Mary asked the question, How will this be? Mary asked the angel since I am a virgin. And the angel Gabriel said, um, in verse 36, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. The angel could have just said, well, God can do everything. God is powerful. He created the universe. If he says you're going to become pregnant while you're still a virgin, he's powerful, he can make it happen. But he didn't just say that. He says, God has already shown his power. Elizabeth, your relative, has already become pregnant as a result of God's intervention, God's miracle. It's not just that God can do things, he has shown that he does do things. So God's bases his promises sometimes not on just what he has done, not just on what he can do, but on what he has done. Now we have an advantage over the people in the Bible in that we have an additional 2,000 years to think about what God has done in, in the intervening time since the Bible was completed. We can think, we can meditate we can ponder, we can consider what God did in the Old Testament. We can consider what he did in the New Testament. But we can also consider what he's done in the last 2,000 years. So, for example, we can read about times when God has sent revival. We can read about, about the revivals in, in, in the 18th century. We can read about the Welsh Revival in 1904. Now, we live today in a very godless age. And it's very easy when we read about how God has acted in the past to think, well, that was then, but this is now. But we forget that the Wesleys lived in a very godless age. They, they lived in, a very, in an age where God was mocked. They lived in an age where people profaned God's name. There's, um, I've heard that um, when William Wilberforce, who, who 
came just after the Wesleys. He was a, an MP. I've heard that he, when he first quoted the Bible in the House of Commons, that he was jeered. And we might think, well, that was the past. Things were different. People were religious in those days. People, people went to church and believed in God. But actually, it wasn't, I don't think it was that much different from the age we live in today. And yet, God intervened then. God didn't intervene then because it was a good age. He didn't intervene because it was an, an, an era where people worshipped him and praised him and loved him. He intervened for the opposite reason. He, intervene, he sent revival because the nation was in desperate need of revival. So, how high is our expectation that he will act today? Aren't we in the same situation today? Don't we, aren't we in desperate need for revival today? God's acted in the past, so won't he act today? And as we read how he's acted in the past, we should be allowing it to, to build up our faith that the same God will act again today. There's a negative way of, of remembering the past. It's possible to look back in, on the past with nostalgia and think, well, God acted in, in this way then, but, but that was then and, and he won't do it today. We, we might even wish we had lived in those days when we lived in the days that we lived in the days when God acted. But why not instead say, well, God acted then, we live in a day now when God can act again. And allow our faith to be increased. So, for example, we've just started meeting as two congregations. So, we might ask the question, well, what is God doing? Why? Why have we started meeting in two congregations? Is it just something the elders thought was a good idea? Or is God doing something? Now, I mean, there's a danger in, in assuming that God will do something exactly the same as what he's done in the past, because he doesn't, do, he doesn't act just exactly the same. He acts according to the situation and the circumstances and according to how he wants to act. So we can't assume that, that the same things that happened in the days of Wesley will happen today. But we can have faith that the same God who acted then will act today. So, when we th do we think about we, we started meeting differently? Is it just some sort of practical sort of arrangement? Some people live in another part of the city, so it's more practical for them to, to meet in a different place? Or do we see that God is doing something? And do we, do we sort of consider and think about it and, and ask, ask God, what are you doing? Show us what you're doing. That's what Mary would have done. That, that seems to be what Mary does when she's pondering these things. It's not to say that she understood what was happening, but she was pondering them and thinking about them and, and asking God, what are you doing? What do these things mean? And we remember 
We don't just remember what God has done in the past, but remember what God has done in your own life. Remember what God has done in the past in your life, the answers to prayer, and allow it to increase your faith that God will, will act again. I'll give an example. When, when I first joined Walkley Baptist Church, I was unemployed and hadn't, hadn't ever worked. And I was in a, in a situation where I was quite concerned about this because not having ever had a job, it seemed very difficult, it was very difficult to believe that I would get a job. I was um, in a group in the church and they prayed for me virtually every week that I would get a job. And um, I sometimes thought the leader of the group had a lot more faith than I did. I, I found it very difficult to believe. And I got a job about a year after having been in that group, having been prayed for almost every week for a year. And sometimes now, I'll sit in my garden and I'll look up at my house and I'll think to myself, how, if I ever stopped believing in God, if I became an atheist, I'm not sure that I could explain how I come to have a house. Because God gave me my job I, I, I can't see how I would have got a job if it hadn't been for God. And as a result of that, I was able to buy my house. So I sit and I think, God gave it to me. We need to remember the things that God has done in the past. And then let it encourage us, let it encourage our faith for believing what God can do now in the present and in the future. But it's not sufficient just to sort of think about what God's done. We need to try to understand what God has done. It's one thing to remember what God has done. Joseph and Mary remembered when they celebrated the Passover, they remembered that God brought the Israelites out of Egypt. But then so did the Pharisees. So did the Sadducees and the chief priests. They remembered. In fact, they remembered so well that when, at a time when they were trying to get God's son crucified, they, were, they didn't want to enter Pilate's palace because they didn't want to be defiled. They remembered what God had done, but they didn't understand it. And Jesus warns us in, in Matthew chapter 13, he warns about people who, who hear things but don't understand. In Matthew chapter 13 and verse 13, he says, Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be forever hearing and never understanding. You will be forever seeing and never perceiving. It's possible to read what God has done, to read the scriptures, to read how God worked miraculously, but not really understand it. So how do we ensure that we not only remember what God's done, but understand it? Well, Mary clearly spent time thinking about what God had done. She pondered these things. She, she treasured them. They were important to her. 
If something's important to you, you, you spend time thinking about it. You seek to understand it. We won't understand something unless we take the trouble to try to understand it. I don't, maybe Mary spoke to other people. Maybe as she, as she contemplated what God was doing, maybe she spoke to Joseph. Maybe she spoke to other godly people. Maybe she, she asked them, discussed with them, what does it mean? We need to ask God to help us to understand. As Mary pondered these things, she probably prayed about them and asked God to show her what they meant. That's not to say that that Mary did understand everything. It's not to say that we will always understand everything. Um, One of the things that was said to Mary when Jesus was a baby was um, in, in chapter 1 when she took Jesus to the temple uh, it's chapter 2 actually I think chapter 2 and verse 35 Simeon says to her a sword will pierce your own soul too he's been speaking about Jesus and and that he would be a light of revelation to the Gentiles and a and glory for God's people Israel. And then at the end he says, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Now I would guess that it was probably as Jesus was on the cross and Mary was standing there with the disciples. That's probably when she suddenly understood what what Simeon meant. She probably didn't understand it until then. She wouldn't have known what he was talking about. So we don't always understand something straight away, but, but she pondered over it. She pondered over these things and thought about them and, and sought God over them. And it's God who gives us understanding. In Ephesians, Paul, Paul talks about his prayer for the church at Ephesus. In, in Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus that they would understand. And that's something we, 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 we can do. We can ask God to give us understanding. As we read the things that God has done in the Bible, and as we think about the things God has done in church history, and even as we think about what God is doing today in our midst, we can ask God to give us understanding. Mary clearly spent time thinking about what had been said to her and the things that were happening, trying to understand it and asking God to show her what it meant. There were things 
that were important to her. There were things that involved her personally. She was personally involved in what was happening. And so she made sure that she didn't just treat them casually. She didn't just, like James says, look in a mirror and forget what she looked like. She thought about them and remembered them. And we need to do the same. We need to know that God is not just able to do powerful things, but he does do powerful things. We know that God is a God who has worked miracles in the past and that he is still a God who works miracles. We know that God is a God who has sent revival in the past and he still sends revival. God hasn't changed. He's still the same today as he was in Old Testament times and in New Testament times and all through church history. God hasn't changed. And thinking about this builds faith for us, for what he's going to do. So let's pray that God will give us wisdom and insight and revelation to understand what he has done, what he is doing, and what he's going to do.